If you have questions that you would like answered, feel free to put them in the comments below or email us at durhamtalents at gmail.com. Hello and welcome to the Durham Talents channel. My name is Jesse Durham. Back for another installment of our question and answer series about your questions concerning the infinite banking concept, privatizing your banking, becoming your own banker. Let's get started. What does the current economy mean for these insurance companies? That's a great question. What I've heard James Nethery say is that he feels that it's the mutual life insurance companies against the world. So again, here in the U.S., when we take a snapshot at history and we see that even our tax code, for example, started in 1913, but life insurance has been around for over 200 years. I mean, as far as track records go in modern Western history, we see that life insurance predates even our country's tax code and that it is a private entity that you can own and you can own it in particularly with a mutual life insurance company, meaning that you're part owner in that company. So stock companies would pay dividends to the stockholders. Mutual life insurance companies are owned by the policy owners. So as far as the longevity, you know, you can certainly look at, I know that I own multiple policies with multiple companies, for example. And one off the top of my head right here, I could say, for example, has paid dividends. I think this is going to be year 147. Now, just think about the history that's happened over the past 100 years plus. World, the war to end all wars, right? World War One, the Great War. But also there's been the Great Depression. There's been the dot-com bubble. There's been Korean War, Vietnam War. There's been World War II. There have been global pandemics, the Spanish influenza. There's been the real estate uh, bust in from 08. There's been Y2K. I mean, just so many different things that have happened in history over the past 100 plus years. And these companies have not only met their contractual obligations to provide access to uh, capital via policy loans and, and withdrawals and paying death benefits, but they furthermore paid dividends for over 100 years consecutively. So, you know, I know that I get to use the word guarantees a lot, whereas plenty of folks in the financial world don't get to use that word. You know, when you own one of these policies with one of these companies, it is a unilateral contract where you've agreed to pay a predetermined amount of premium that you chose. And then everything else is on the insurance company. And whereas we've seen banking institutions go bankrupt over the course of the same amount of history that I'm talking about here, life insurance companies have been paying dividends. So... That's 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 my response. You know, I, I believe that the more educated we are about history, about this idea of becoming your own banker, that the more encouraging it's going to be. But again, I appreciate that question and I can understand why somebody would want to ask that question to be able to know more about these insurance companies. So great question. I appreciate that one. Jesse, can you tell me the difference between IULs and whole life? Why not get an IUL policy? 
That's from Terry. Terry wanted to know why not IULs? Why not Index Universal Life? And and there are other forms of of insurance out there. Universal Life, variable. All right. So uh, I always point out to folks that Nash himself wrote about this subject. So I like going back to the origin source. Nash had a couple of pages. It's short, but again, his book is short. It's it's big print, and and that's why I reference it because it's so elegantly simple, and yet it's such a paradigm shift. So he he covered that himself. So I'm encouraging you to go read what he said in the book. What I can tell you is I do not personally own universal anything. I personally own properly structured whole life policies like. 121 policies, meaning pause whole life policies that are 120 year contracts, meaning they mature at age 120. That's what I own. That's the kind of business that I write. Those are the kinds of contracts that I help people get. Now, why not? I'm not so not to skirt by saying, well, read Nash's book and and just to say, well, I don't own those. But I I wouldn't bypass that either. I mean, when you do practice what you preach to me, that means something. So for folks that are asking this question like Terry uh, and again, Nash addressed it in his book, it's worth addressing. Again, I in a previous question that I just answered, I mentioned the, the great joy that I have in using the word guarantee when I interact with friends and clients, educating and and doing business in this infinite banking space, helping people privatize their banking by guaranteed access to capital, guaranteed access. So being able to use the word guarantee. With Index Universal Life, I've heard James Nethery describe it this way, that it cannibalizes itself. These types of policies... They're not built for long-range thinking and planning like Nash encourages us to do. That's one of Nash's key principles is thinking long-range. And I don't want to jeopardize, personally, again, so that is why I don't own policies such as Index Universal Life. I don't personally want to assume any risk that I don't need to in the assets that I own. Furthermore, I don't want my policies to cannibalize themselves. I, I want my death benefit and I want my cash values to be able to, on a guaranteed contractual basis, grow and compound uninterrupted. I, and I don't want to assume any more risk than I need to. And I don't want to have that entity cannibalize itself just to be able to continue to pay premiums into the into the future i want to have those things established for myself so great question terry i appreciate you asking that one it's a common one i know that there are plenty of folks out there saying that you know you need to get index universal life or you need to do this this particular type of split always in a balance between you know the base premiums that you pay or the paid up additions right there i personally do not have a cookie cutter approach for everyone for all my friends and clients i don't i believe that a policy should be constructed for the individual and the way that i do that is by having more than one conversation 
to know about your cash flows and your intentions and your goals. And see, this is becoming your own banker and it's something that you do over the course of your lifetime. So I believe that in owning a policy, you can use a policy immediately from the time that that policy goes in force. And my definition of immediately would be within 30 days. Within 30 days of a policy going in force, you could begin to access and leverage and use capital in a policy that you own and control. But it should also be constructed to serve you well over the course of your lifetime. Because the future is unknown. But with our, our policies, we want that to be known the guarantees that we have. So I hope that that's been a, a helpful answer. I don't have a cookie cutter approach. I know that there are lots of folks out there that are saying that, well, a policy should be done this way or that way. There are plenty of folks that, that, that say plenty of things. I mean, there are folks that are saying, well, you know, that person's trying to write you uh, a whole life policy with with more to the base because that means that they earn more commission. So I'm a capitalist. I'm good with earning the way I should earn. I hope you're good with earning the way that you want to earn. Okay. I believe that the worker is worthy of his hire. Also, I know that when a policy is properly structured for high cash value, the way that it should be, Nash points that out in his book, is that the death benefit should be de-emphasized to emphasize the cash value, the access to liquidity early on. Now, that doesn't completely do away with the death benefit because those two have a relation. They're related. You know, a, a, a cash value is simply a, a net present day representation of that future death benefit. So they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. But by having a policy structured with high cash value, like I own, like I do, commissions are actually diminished. So that just is what it is. Great question. I encourage you to continue your learning. Read what Nash said. Uh, continue reading his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. And I look forward to our next conversation. Ryan asks, Can I put the policy in an LLC? That's a great question, Ryan. The answer is yes. A policy can be transferred is, is one thing to consider. Uh, could you privately own yourself a policy and then transfer that? It's, it's a private asset. Yes, you could do that. Um, could an LLC own a policy? Could a policy be in a truck? I mean, I'm not giving advice. Speak with your appropriate professionals. But a policy is a private asset, and it is a transferable asset. You know, there is a beneficiary to a policy. There is the insured, which is the body that the policy is on, and there is an owner of a policy. And those are not always the same people, of course, and some of them might be the same people. Like I could be the owner of a policy on myself and have family members or whoever as beneficiaries. Such is the case. Could I also be the owner of a policy on someone else who is the insured and have someone else as the beneficiary? Such is the case. Yes, I can own a policy on my child and my wife as a beneficiary, for example. And so those are the, the three roles and, and those may be different persons or some of those the same persons. Um, 
as, as a general rule of thumb, I encourage folks to privately own their policies. Again, speak with your appropriate professionals. I'm not a CPA or tax advisor or any of the such, but I, I personally own my policies, our policies, and we have multiple policies. We've been building a system of policies over the past seven years now, my wife and I, our family, and we personally own those. So great question. I'm glad I was able to cover that with you, Ryan, and now here for the benefit of everyone. If I'm uninsurable, can I do this? That's a question from Greg. Greg, great question. Yes, Nash also has a section in his book where he talks about being uninsurable. Now, I can tell you, uh, like I did when we had our phone conversation, that I don't know whether you're uninsurable or not, per se. It's like, that's what the underwriting process is before. You know, like James Nethery says, it's all conversation until someone write, writes a check, meaning until, um, you know, premium is, is, is paid and a contract goes in force or doesn't go in force because someone is genuinely uninsurable, then I don't know. I'm not the underwriter. But, but is it possible to practice this idea of becoming your own maker if you are legitimately, genuinely uninsurable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, like I answered in a previous question, I own policies on my children, for example. So, so those are policies on another body. I'm the owner of those policies. I own those policies. I use those policies, but they're not on my person. They're not on my body. So can you own policies if you are uninsurable? Absolutely. It's just a matter of who you have insurable interest in. And then it's possible to build out a system of policies on folks that you have an insurable interest in. And that could be family members. That could be the appropriate uh, business relations that you have, etc. So, yes, it's absolutely possible to practice this idea of becoming your own banker, of implementing the infinite banking concept, even if you yourself are actually uninsurable. It's always the place to start if you are insurable to get a policy on yourself for myriad reasons. One, because it's the, the most practical. It'd be a more streamlined uh, process. Uh, two, because as a, a business partner or, or even as a leader in your family, it's good to lead by example in that way, even, even at the level of influence, just what you can teach children or grandchildren let's say, by them seeing you practice your own privatized banking. Lots of great reasons, too. But ultimately, yes, you can practice this concept of privatizing your banking, even if you are uninsurable. That was a great question, Greg. Thank you. Hey, those guys, what insurance company do you use? Great question. I've said many times here that I personally own multiple policies with multiple companies. There's more than one company that is a mutual life insurance company that has paid dividends for over 100 consecutive years. Those are the types of companies that I own policies with and that I write policies with for the friends and clients that we have here. So is there one particular one that I'm 
captive to? Nope. Uh, nor am I married to them. I've also commonly said that I'm married to my wife, Lauren. I'm not married to one particular life insurance company. There might be different reasons why we would use one company over another for an individual. I don't have a cookie cutter approach for our friends and clients here. When you want to start becoming your own banker, it's going to be based on a very individual level based off of more than one phone conversation. That's just how we do here. And I don't know what insurance company it will end up being for you until we're there. But again, when we get through the underwriting process, and if that contract looks like it's something that you want to own, something that you want to pay that amount of premium that you've predetermined, and that the insurance company has offered for you to be able to pay to have all the guarantees of that unilateral contract, then you can pay that premium and own that policy with that company. I mean, this this is what Nash talked about when he's talking about the beauty of privately contracting with each other, voluntarily privately contracting with each other. It's a beautiful relationship. So, great question. I appreciate that. Jesse, can I do a $50,000 upfront installment for a policy on my grandchild? So, this was a great question. Was it Steve? Who was asking about two grandchildren and paying, ha having, just had allocated, set aside... $50,000 each that he wanted to be able to use to get a policy for each of his grandchildren. So great question. Can you use a lump sum to get a policy on a family member? We got to talk about what that could look like based off of more questions that I asked, more information about the entire situation. And that's that's my approach, not having a cookie cutter approach but getting a very individual approach towards how to implement family banking for an individual. Now, some overarching themes could be that, is it possible, to answer the question, is it possible to do lump sums? Yes, it depends on what you mean by that. Could you do lump sums where you pay a larger lump once every year versus doing something monthly? Yes. So you could make monthly premium payments, quarterly, semi-annual, or annual. But if we're talking one time and one time only, is that possible? Yes, is the answer. Yes, it's possible to make one-time lump sum premium payments. Now, is that going to go congruently with ongoing scheduled premium payments? Certainly can. So is it is it possible to pay something on a monthly basis or an annual basis? But also, if you have static funds, if you have some lazy dollars somewhere in uh, savings or just anywhere, money that's just sitting stagnant, not doing anything for you, and you'd like to use that as additional premium to a policy when starting a policy to have a an initial impact in getting that compounding going and still, of course, have access uh to those uh, cash values from the start of the policy, yes, that is possible. It is possible to add additional 
premium along with scheduled ongoing premium. So again, all this to say that every individual situation, in my opinion, should be approached as an individual situation. Sure, there are going to be some things that are the same, but if those things are just saying we should be owning policies with mutual companies that pay a dividend and they should be properly structured for the banking purpose that are going to meet an individual's needs and desires and wants and goals, both now and over the course of their lifetime, that's what we're t that's going to stay the same. But each individual case where you have a dollar amount in mind for this and you want it structured in this particular way, well, that is why we have uh, those kinds of conversations so that you can have that policy structured for you. It's a great question. I enjoyed having that conversation and, and being able to expound a little bit upon that here for the benefit of everyone. Because beyond yourself, because this individual had insurance already already on their person but again you know had money that they wanted to go to family and learned about this idea of becoming your own banker and was thinking long range which i love nash talked about you know the longer ranging you think the better off you're going to be for sure and this individual is thinking about how to help grandchildren even be able to account for their need of finance into the future it's a beautiful thing I love it. I absolutely love it. I love those kinds of conversations, those kinds of phone calls. I look forward to many more, and I hope that's been helpful to everybody. What if I can't afford a certain amount of premiums every month, Jesse? Well, that's a very valid question that I got from Jonas recently because there are, there are some parameters in insurance for sure, both on the minimum and on the maximum, meaning... It's possible to pay so much in premium on a particular policy, into a particular policy, that it would change the tax treatment of that policy. It would actually change from just being a whole life policy to what's called a modified endowment contract, a MEC, modified endowment contract. And it would change the tax treatment because there are certain tax treatments just because whole life insurance predates our tax code here in the U.S. that a whole life policy has. But if that policy turns into a mech, then some of those treatments are going to change. Likewise, on the minimum side of things, a good general rule of thumb when considering how much premium is appropriate for an individual, well, a good baseline is to say, well, take whatever your age is and multiply that by 10, maybe 15, if we're talking about a more mature person. But let's say 10x on a monthly basis. So... $200 a month for a 20-year-old, $300 a month for a 30-year-old, and so on. And again, maybe that would get up to 15 times that amount per month for a more mature individual. But that's a good rule of thumb just to get you approximately to a minimum. So somewhere between, and here, here are Nash's words. What Nash would say when he would be talking about premium is that he would say it should be a logical and a reasonable number for you. It should be logical and reasonable. Also, you've got to use your imagination, right? He, he, he referenced Einstein's quote, I believe, of, you know, uh, imagination is more important than knowledge. So somewhere between those parameters is probably what's going to be an appropriate amount of premium for an individual, whether it's their, their first policy or whether it's a subsequent policy. Perhaps more importantly for the first policy for someone, 
we can err a little more towards the logical and the reasonable. But I can tell you that conversations that my wife and I had when we were deciding on a, a premium amount for us, even from our first policy, but also subsequent policies, it was somewhere between a really ambitious number that you know raised eyebrows and caused good conversation, but that it also it fit us. It made sense. Okay, so somewhere in that parameter is probably going to be what's an appropriate amount of premium for you. I'm not here to tell you your number, anyone their number. Now, does an individual who says, well, X amount is uh, is too expensive for me, do you need to be getting a policy? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you should practice banking for yourself with a coffee can, with a, with a checking account or a regular savings account, and just a mass capital until you get to a point that owning a policy makes sense for you. Maybe that's what you need to do. You know, Nash, when he talked about this whole genesis of the infinite banking concept, how that came to him was there was one point where he just had a lot of honest introspection. He just looked at his lifestyle, looked at his choices, looked at things that he was doing, and just reevaluated Maybe maybe he or you or I, you know, we spend too much here or we're not paying attention to this or what have you. Because it's really not about what you make. It's about what you keep. Right. So maybe you need to just practice privatized banking with a coffee can for a while. I don't know. But I do know that you should arrive at what is appropriate for you to do and how much to do that's what's appropriate for you. I'm just here to encourage, I'm here to be your biggest cheerleader, to mentor and to coach, absolutely, to speed up your learning curve, absolutely. Who should you be doing you know, business with to have policies written for you and have someone that's going to serve you over your lifetime of, of using these policies and implementing the infinite banking concept? You know, I mean, you get to pick who your professional is going to be. You know, And what I would say is if you're learning best here, if you're getting good information here that's helping you, if you feel well served here, then, you know, that's that's what the subscribe button's for. That's what, you know, sharing this information is for. That's what, you know, calling us and emailing us is, is for. And I'm not looking either to become or to have you dependent upon me. You know, I'm here to promote the idea that you can become your own banker. I'm not trying to create dependency between myself and friends and clients, but rather speed up your learning curve, help and encourage you in everything that you're doing along your way of being your own banker. So that's a great question. I feel like I covered a whole lot right there, and I hope it's been helpful. Jesse, how do I get to my cash values? That was a great question. Terry asked that one has a simple answer. When you have a contract with a company, you can have um, policy loans wire transferred to your local commercial bank. You can have an EFT, an electronic funds transfer. You could just request a paper check. The insurance company will mail you a check. So whatever works out best for you. I, I normally do something electronic myself, but there's also something about getting that check in the mail. Um, so you can set that up however you want. Again, I was able to answer that directly for Terry, but I want to be able to do that here for 
everyone. So these insurance companies, they, they have their websites and you can log in and they have phone numbers where you can call. And that's that's what I encourage. I mean, I'm here to help with every step of the process that you want uh, help with. Personally, I call and make my premiums directly to the insurance company. I call and make my policy loans directly with uh, the insurance company. I'm promoting the idea that you can be as independent and autonomous as your own banker as you want to be. But I hope that that answer has been helpful. Now, if you have questions that we've not yet got to, feel free to put those down in our comment section below or to reach out and have a conversation about how to implement the infinite banking concept into your household or your business or your investing. You can reach us at 828-817-4223 or you can email durhamtalents at gmail.com. Please feel free to subscribe to our channel and share it with those you love and care about. I look forward to our next conversation. Have a great day. Take care. All right, Jesse, let's get to this question and answer series. Folks need to know some things. Yes, sir, Mr. Dam. Perfect. Hello and welcome. Well, let's do a... Uh... Si quieres preguntarnos ciertas cosas, adelante, por favor. Are you ready to answer questions? Why, yes, I am. Avispa. A wasp has decided to attack. What weapon should I? I mean, is this too big to? Is this too big to get a wasp with? I don't know. Maybe not. Never had this happen before while I've been recording. Can you believe that wasp? trying to get me I'll see you in our next episode I'll be right back